Hey, how are we? Um, I'm pretty excited. Uh, so excited because I'm looking at seeing some friends, so some friends. I'm looking out and seeing a bunch of people I don't know. So that's just really exciting. I'll tell you why that's exciting for me in just a sec. Um, so, yep, I'm Steve. Uh, thanks for the intro, Dave. Um, it, it, it's really good to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I live up in Port. I live there just over 17 years now, married for just over 26 years now, four kids, uh, two off at uni, uh, two still at home. Um, probably the most important, definitely the most important thing about me, God saved me just under 40 years ago when I was three. That was a lie for those of you who don't know me because I'm a bit older than 43. Um, and here's why it's exciting to be here. Uh, next Sunday is the Point Community Church, the church that I'm part of. Uh, it's our 17th birthday. Um, now, that, that's quite extraordinary. So to an old bloke like me, um, 17 years now just doesn't seem like anything. It, it just has gone so quickly. Uh, now, here's what's happened in 17 years. I come along here and I hear about 80 kids that are part of your church. I hear about this camp that's about to launch. I, I hear about mission that's happening in uh, Bonnie Hills and Lake Cadai. Uh, at the same time, the movement of churches that we're part of, um, there's now a church as well down at Foster. Uh, there's one at Taree. There's one up at Coffs Harbour. There's one up at Maclay. And the Maclay's just in the last 12 months has started one up at Grafton. What? what I don't know, seven, eight churches? I don't know what you guys hear in the news and how you react about how, oh, the church is dying. No way. It's pretty exciting what's going on. Keep going. Keep going. I, these houses, last time I uh, came down to Salt, those houses weren't even there. There's just more people to be reached with the gospel, yeah? Uh, Jesus said, go. Go tell people about Jesus. Well, they're all coming to you, so you just walk around your street and tell them about Jesus. Pretty exciting, yeah? All right. Um, Enough of the intro. We're going to look at that passage that Ness just read out. So, hope you've got it open, either through a Bible or through the handout, the passage is there. We're going to look at it. I'm going to pray that God will bless us with his word. Oh, Father, you could have walked away from us when Adam and Eve rebelled against you, but you never did. You, you always pursued your people. You always had a plan to send your saviour, uh, our saviour, your son, uh, the king of the universe, to come and save us. And so we pray that as we hear about your message of grace tonight, we will again uh, be transformed by your gospel grace. We pray this for your glory and our joy. Amen. 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 Well, I've got two scenarios for us to begin with. Uh, imagine you've been invited by a friend over for dinner and it's the end of the evening and you're about to head out. Uh, what is the Aussie customary response? Well, we surveyed 100 Aussies and the top answer was, thank you for inviting me. I must invite you next time. That sounds about right, doesn't it? I want you to now imagine scenario two. Uh, you're at the shopping centre. You're not going to go through the self-checkout. You're going to go through one of the checkouts where a person's there. And there's three people in front of you. Uh, you get in at the line, so you're going, oh, I've got to wait. And then a, a, a checkout opens up right next to you. And a person's coming in the trolley. They were about to come in behind you, and they swerve and get to the front of the line. What's your response? Again, we surveyed 100 Aussies and hit the top answer was, 
that's not fair. Now, both of those scenarios reveal something deeply ingrained in our heart. And so ingrained, most of us don't even realise it. We operate on the basis of merit. We are hardwired for merit. We have a worldview of merit from a very young age. If I study, I'll pass the exam. If I do my chores, I'll get the money. This is hardwired. And then as we get older, if I get the job and I get the good job and I get the good money, I get the good house. And then we all know it was just December, wasn't it? Even Santa Claus is merit-based. He only gives gifts to those who are nice, not naughty. He keeps a list. Now, listen, studying, working, being responsible, even being nice rather than naughty, these are all good things. But here's the thing. A merit-only worldview leads to, I work for what I get, I deserve what I get, I am entitled to what I get. A worldview shaped only by merit leads to people being driven by expectation. I must invite you around next time. That's not fair. I've been waiting in line all this time. But what if we allowed something else called grace to break into our world? A worldview with room for grace leads to, well, I can receive a gift without feeling obligated. Or I can watch somebody else get the gift without begrudging them. A worldview where grace exists produces humble people. Oh, thank you so much for the meal. I enjoyed your company. Oh, fantastic. They got in the line straight away without waiting. All right, that last one's probably too much. <laughs> too much, too quick. But, but get prepared. Jesus is about to smash our merit-based worldview. Firstly, uh, we're going to look at the, that whole section that um, Ness just read out for us. It's actually in three sections. So let me just give you a heads up. Uh, the first section goes from 1 to 16, the second section goes from 7 to 19, the third section goes from 20 to 28. We're going to look at section 1, section 3, then come back to uh, section 3, and I'm going to give us the big ideas out of each of those sections and then hold them together in, in this idea of getting us to think about the way we're wired to think, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. I, I think we're more merit-driven than we realise and we need to let God's grace break in. And, and so in that first section, um, we're going to hear Jesus' parable on fairness. And then we're going to go to that section where the mum comes and has a request for Jesus for her two sons. And then we're going to finish with uh, Jesus' act of greatness. And so if you've got that outline there, where we're headed is, it's not fair, grasping at greatness, ultimate greatness. And so firstly, it's not fair. Matthew 20 Verse 1, let, let's have a look at it again. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. This is Jesus telling us a parable about the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And so if we want a worldview, if we want to know how to operate in this world, Jesus is the one that we want to listen to. And here he is giving us a lesson. It's a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and it's a landowner who went out early in the morning, so this is 6 a.m., to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius. If you follow the footnote down, uh, you see that a denarius was the equivalent of a day's wage for a labourer. I'm not sure what that is today. What, six, seven hundred dollars? That would be nice. It probably isn't. But think of a day's wage. Okay, so we're talking about a lot of money. We're not just talking about a little coin. A day's wage. Uh, um, and then about nine in the morning, so three hours later, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. So he's obviously got a big paddock. Lots of workers coming into work for him. And then uh, he comes at three in the afternoon and he asks those guys, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? No, no, this was five in the afternoon, wasn't it? Just one hour left. Verse seven, because no one has hired us, they answered. Uh, the, the owner of the land said, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. If you are the other workers, you're getting excited at this point, aren't you? I'm thinking, oh, we got a bonus coming for us because the guy who only worked an hour got the day's wage. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only for one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It's not fair. Yeah? But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. If you were to ask me how I'd like to see the scenario played out at Coles when somebody comes in behind me and gets in before me when I've been waiting in line, I, I personally I'd like it to go something like this. Hey, what are you doing? Get in the queue and wait like the rest of us. That's just not fair. And then what I'd love to see happen is the checkout person get on the microphone and call security. <laughs> and then to have security come and, and, put, and handcuff them. And then take their photo and, and put it up at the front of Coles. Q hopper, Q hopper. It's not fair, is it? Q hopping, it's just wrong. Now, perhaps that's a little over the top and you're wondering why Dave asked me to come and preach. So let me tell you how the checkout person should respond if I was to get all self-righteous and, and call out, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. You knew what you signed up for when you got into the line with three people in front of you. 
And if I should choose to open up another queue and, and let somebody else come in straight away, what's that to you? You knew what you signed up for when you joined that queue. Are you begrudging my generosity to that person? That's devastating, isn't it? A worldview completely based on merit does not leave any room for generosity, for grace. A merit-based worldview turns an adult like me into a child that consistently yells, it's not fair. It's not fair. We're so driven by merit, the following quote from Craig Blomberg rings true. Little seems more unequal than the equal treatment of unequals. Let me read that again. I had to read it a couple of times ago. Oh, that's good. Little seems more unequal than the equal treatment of unequals. Here's another quote from someone else. The rewards God gives from the viewpoint of human justice may sometimes look unfairly generous. It is a measure of our failure to share God's values that we feel a natural sympathy for the complaint of verse 12. It's not fair. Verse 12 just screams it's not fair. We, we feel sympathy with that. However much we expect, uh, accept the cool logic of verses 13 to 15. It is frightening to realize that our identification with the first workers and hence with the opponents of Jesus reveals how loveless and unmerciful we basically are. We may be more under law in our thinking and less under grace than we realize. God is good and compassionate, far beyond his children's understanding. Let, let me read that cool logic of verses 12 to 16 again. Uh, verse 13. Um, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Wow. Uh, next time you feel like screaming out, it's not fair, ask yourself, are you begrudging God's generosity? Is there any room in, in our worldview for grace? That was the not fair parable. No, we're now going to look at uh, grasping at generous. Have a look at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus and her son. So this is James and John, two of the disciples. Their mum comes to talk to Jesus, kneeling down and asked a favour. What is it you want? Jesus asked. The mother said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. He's now addressing the mum and the sons. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten, so the other disciples heard this, 
they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know what the rulers of the you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Again, <laughs> Jesus is devastating. Uh, the typical worldview today, and obviously back in Jesus' day, is that uh, leaders have the right to lord it over followers. You know, the, the boss has the right to lord it over uh, his or her employees. That, that's the way we operate. You, you've worked your way up the ladder, so you deserve the title. You, you deserve uh, what's coming to you. But Jesus says to his followers, not so with you. A leader in the kingdom of heaven is a slave. Have a look at verse 27 again. What's the last word there in verse 27? Slave. Circle it. Underline it. Let, let that word slave come crashing into our merit-based world view. Slave. Uh, here's a real question you're allowed to call out an answer. Um, who made the universe? Jesus. Yep, God, Jesus. I heard both and yep, yep, amen to both. Uh, we're specifically told in Colossians, Jesus created the universe. Okay, here's one. You don't, you don't have to guess this. Steve looking for God or Jesus or Holy Spirit, all right? Who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Oh, you do have to think about it. Okay, Jesus. All right, all right. King of kings, Lord of lords. Who is coming back one day and somehow the entire world will see him in all of his glory? Who, who's that one who's coming back one day and the whole world instantly will see his glory? Jesus. Yeah. That Jesus. That Jesus took off his clothes, wrapped a towel around his waist, got down on his knees, and one by one went and washed the disciples' feet. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. As the beaver so aptly points out in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Aslan, who is a figure for Jesus, Aslan is anything but safe. Jesus is anything but safe. Jesus is radically countercultural. Jesus pulverizes our proud, merit-based worldview. <laughs> So how might this sort of work out for you and I? And I was, um, think because like, I definitely know I struggle with this on a regular basis. I, I want to call out it's not fair. I don't know if I want to lay down my life for people. But um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you guys, you looked at marriage because Jesus touched on marriage in uh, Matthew chapter 19. And um, I, I listened to the sermon that Dave preached. It was great. Uh, but it's a reminder to us today, isn't it, that God's design for marriage is quite different to society's view. 
And one of those differences is just the way that God's designed a man and a woman to be married and a, a man to be the husband, to be the head and the, the uh, wife to be the helper. Today, that sounds radically misogynistic. Today, that sounds radically abusive. Today, that, that sounds like a return to the day when women were abused. And let me say clearly, as Dave said a couple of weeks ago, if you are in a, an abusive relationship, Salt Community Church wants to help you be safe, get out of it, gather around you. But let's think about marriage in God's design with a worldview of Jesus. What would that look like? Husbands, whoever would be great amongst you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave. And then not just for marriage. What about for our relationships within church here? Whoever would be first amongst you would be the first one to give up their right for the sake of loving, loving their church neighbour. Jesus is anything but safe. In a merit-based world, in a merit-only based world, leadership is scary, it is oppressive. Totalitarian regimes, multi-million dollar payouts for CEOs at the expense of workers, the rise of cult leaders, many, many other problems. But leadership in the kingdom of heaven puts all those fears to rest. The central image of a leader in the kingdom of heaven is a slave. The central virtue of leadership in the kingdom of heaven is humility. Look at verse 28 again. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. When the disciples first heard that, they would have heard Son of Man, and I'm pretty sure they would have gone to Daniel chapter 7 and seen this image of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, the Son of Man coming on the throne of the universe, the, the, the most power in the entire universe, a cosmic power. And Jesus grabs that title, Son of Man, and says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. The Son of Man. The cosmic son of man wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the disciples' feet. Kingdom of heaven greatness is not reflected by how many servants you have, but how many you serve. Okay, we're now ready to look at our final point, ultimate greatness. Uh, twice now I've mentioned Jesus putting a towel around his waist, washing disciples' feet. But, but that's not his ultimate act of greatness. Look at verse 17. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Now, Jesus is obviously predicting his death and resurrection. And so we have the death and resurrection sitting right in the middle of the parable about uh, it's not fair. 
and then the uh, story about true greatness. And right in the middle is Jesus' uh, foretelling of his death and his resurrection. And we're told in verse 28 that Jesus came to serve by giving his life as a ransom. Verse 28, a life as a ransom for many. A ransom is the payment to buy a slave out of slavery. Jesus came to buy you and me out of slavery. Jesus laid his life down, the king of the universe, so that we could be bought out of our slavery to sin. It is amazing grace that brought the Son of God to his knees to wash the disciples' feet. That's extraordinary, isn't it? I don't know what to call the grace where the Son of Man willingly allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so that he could ransom you and I. That is cosmic grace. Jesus' cosmic grace pounds in to our merit-based world. Christianity is different to every other religion. Every other religion says, fix yourself up, get yourself right with God. Christianity is the Son of God ransomed his life for his followers. At the centre of Christianity is grace, what I receive. At the centre of all religions is what we do. Thinking about it, you know, there's no sustainable joy in merit-based religion or a merit-based life. Because if we've got to earn it, where, where's the joy? I, I guess we'd sing songs about ourselves, wouldn't we? Amazing merit. I gave it a crack. I won't sing, though. You all walk out. Amazing merit. I saved myself. You're a wretch. Be like me. I found the way to heaven. I'm clever because I can see. Yuck. <laughs> Grace-based salvation produces joy, tears, wonder, amazement. It produces people who lay their lives down for others because our life was rescued by Jesus who laid his life down for us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God's gospel story is that we receive what we don't deserve and we could never pay back. You've probably heard or read or Tim Keller's, he's often saying it. He got it from a guy called Jack Miller I discovered recently. We are more flawed and sinful than we ever dare believe and we are more loved and accepted than we ever dare hope. Grace changes everything. And because we've received God's grace, we love and serve people as opposed to expecting from other people. Oh, thank you for inviting me around for dinner. I just had a lovely time with you tonight. Full stop. Just, just enjoyed your company. Oh, wow. Great to see somebody just got in front of me. They didn't have to wait like I did. 
our relationships in church and in family, if they're based on grace rather than expectation. Grace changes everything. A grace-based worldview is way better than a merit-based uh, worldview. It leaves merit living for dead, and here's why. Jesus brought cosmic-sized grace into our world. The Son of Man ransomed us by laying his life down. We receive that grace and full of Jesus' grace. Well, let's go. Let's serve. Let's gladly serve. I'm going to pray. Oh, Father, continue to just blow us away by your grace. Father, forgive us uh, for when we we try and earn favour with you, um, where we try and think that we have to do something to please you and, and forget that you've done it all already through your son. Help, help us to be receivers of your grace and would it be your grace that then shapes us and changes us to go and serve, serve within our families, serve our neighbours, serve within our church. Father, we pray this so that others might see how great and gracious you are. In Jesus' name, amen.